Uh, if you are new to Faith Covenant Church, you're with us in the room, you're watching online, and you're like, what in the heck are they doing? Uh, let me try and explain. Um, so um, my name is Mike. I'm currently one of the members on staff. I'm told there's a petition drive out at the Welcome Center to have me recalled if you got hit with a film canister or sprayed with Alka-Seltzer. Uh, you can go sign that. Uh, but we are in the midst of a series that we have entitled Messy Christmas, and that affords us an opportunity to have some uh, really fun, messy illustrations that really don't tie into the message at all. Um, more to come of that next week. But more importantly, what we're doing is each week we are looking at um, the Christmas narrative and the, the story that is contained there. And here's, here's the thing about the Christmas narrative. If you, if you read through the stories that make up the Christmas narrative, while, while we like to think of Christmas as this picturesque, serene, perfect kind of time, when you read the stories in the Bible, those are messy stories. And what we're doing in this series is each week we're looking at a different story, and, and we're finding hope in the midst of that mess. Because... Those stories are relevant to our lives. For so many of us, we may long for a picture-perfect Christmas, but our lives and our homes and our workplaces and our communities and our churches and our world, it's messy. And the, the good news that we find for us is that the God who is present and at work in the mess of that first Christmas he hasn't abandoned us. He is still present and at work in the mess of our Christmas today. So we're going to take a minute, we're going to pray, we're going to invite God to be part of this, and then we'll jump into this week's mess. Father, just as we think about some of the events that have taken place over this last week, both near and far, um, we live in a broken world. And uh, things are messy, to say the least. Father, we just pray for the different communities that have been hit by the tornadoes over the last week, for the loss of um, property, for the loss of life, for people who are without home and without loved ones, that you would meet them in the midst of that. Father, closer to home, uh, we want to pray for Jay McFadden and for his family as he entered into hospice care this week, and as Janine and him and their kids know that the time for his departure is near. God, I pray they would sense your presence and your calm and your peace. Just help us as we take time to explore the scriptures together. Just open our minds and our eyes to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today's mess comes to us uh, from Matthew. It's found in the first chapter of his biography of Jesus' life. We're going to pick up at verse 18, and Matthew starts off like this. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, to, to really appreciate, to really understand um, the mess that is contained here 
in Joseph and Mary's engagement and marriage story. You have to understand some of the history, some of the culture that is in this. Uh, now, married people, married people in the room, raise, show of hands. I mean, married people wishing you weren't married people. I had somebody raise their hand for a service. There we go. We had somebody do it this service. All right. So, um, <laughs> I told you, it's messy. All right. So, um, uh, <laughs> everybody who's married has an engagement marriage story. And chances are, you can remember yours. Like, I remember mine. In fact, I will share some of mine with you. Although, uh, if you are younger, if you are single, you're in the room, you're watching on the live stream, what I am about to share with you, I would not recommend you do it this way, okay? This is not the way to do it. For example, uh, my wife and I, we dated for one entire month before we talked about and decided we want to get married. And we knew, like all of you are, you know, we were like, people are going to freak out if we tell them this. They just don't understand our love, right? So we waited two more additional months <laughs> before we got rings and announced we were getting married, right? And um, so, you know, we we're like, hey, one month, three months, that's like three times as long. What could anybody complain about? It was messy. On top of that, how we announced our engagement was just stupid, all right? Um, like, my, neither my wife or I are, are big center of attention, spotlight kind of people. And how engagements got announced way back then as compared to today was nothing, but it was more attention than we wanted. And so we came up with what we thought was a really different and creative idea. We decided Laura would just start wearing her engagement ring. We wouldn't tell anybody. People would notice, they would talk, word would spread, the general populace would announce our engagement for us. It was different, it was funny, it was creative, we thought, what could possibly go wrong? Now, when I say we didn't tell anybody, I mean, literally, we did not tell a soul. So one day, my mother gets a phone call from her then best friend, who is congratulating her on her son's engagement. That she was flying completely in the dark. I mean, she had no idea. Her son had proposed to his girlfriend. Her, she had accepted nothing. Needless to say, my mother was embarrassed, and she was hurt, and she felt neglected. And it all came out to me as anger, right? My mother wanted to kill me. Fortunately, she did not. A little better than a year later, my wife and I got married, and we have a picture of the two of us on our wedding day. Yeah. Look like we're 15 years old, right? <laughs> that, that was our marriage and engagement story. If you're married, you've got one of those. Hopefully yours has more wisdom to it than mine, right? Joseph and Mary had one, and I'm telling you, it's different than all of ours. For example, Matthew says that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, in first century Judaism, here's what this means. Mary and Joseph and their families all get together. They decide it's a good idea for Mary and Joseph to be married. And so they pledge themselves to be married to one another. Now, after they pledge themselves to be married, legally, on paper, they're hitched. However, Mary goes back home, lives with her parents for a time. Joseph goes and prepares their new home together. And while they're just pledged to be married, even though legally they are married, they're still not living in the same home. They're still not intimate with one another. 
Now, several months later, they will have a second ceremony that's similar to what we would consider a wedding ceremony today. And after that second ceremony, if they want to, then they can consummate the marriage and do whatever married people do. But while they're pledged, no hanky-panky, you got to wait until after that second ceremony. Now, in between the first and second ceremonies, if Joseph or Mary decide, I want to break this thing off, it's not like an engagement today. Like if while Laura and I were engaged, she just decided, you know what? Mike is just too much of a chick magnet for me to deal with, right? <laughs> all, the, all the girls are going to be mad at me that I got him and they didn't, and all those floozies who are going to try and worm their way into his heart over the years to come. I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to find somebody less handsome, less charming, less dashing, and marry him instead. And after first service, somebody said to me, are you sure you weren't the second guy? Right? <laughs> Encouraging people here at Faith Covenant Church, right? So, um, but if Laura had come to those conclusions, all she has to do is give me back the ring, tell me we're through, and walk away. Not so for Mary and Joseph. If they want to break things off even before that second ceremony, they have to pursue a legal divorce, same as a couple who has had that second ceremony and has been married for years. So they're pledged. They haven't had the second ceremony. They're, legally, they're married. They're not allowed to live with each other, be intimate. So next, Matthew tells us that while Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where things really start to get messy, especially for Joseph. Because Mary's had an angel come to her and explain to her that through the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her without ever having been intimate with a man, she's going to conceive and give birth to a child. Joseph has gotten no memos. Nobody's told Joseph anything. All he knows is the girl that he is pledged to who he is not sleeping with, is now pregnant, and he's not the baby daddy. Now, what is Joseph left to assume? He's going to conclude what any of us would conclude. Like, gentlemen, if you're engaged and your fiancé, who you are not being intimate with, comes up pregnant, what are you going to think she did? Or moms, if your one-time little boy, who's now all grown up, gets engaged, and his fiancée is found to be pregnant, and after you get done beating your son, he convinces you, no, no, Mom, it wasn't me. What are you going to assume about your would-be daughter-in-law? See, Joseph assumes what any of us would assume, that Mary has been unfaithful to him. And now Joseph is left to decide what he's going to do about Mary cheating on him. See, you'll be, hard you'll be hard pressed to find a Christmas card that depicts Joseph wrestling with Mary's perceived infidelity. But that's the Christmas story. It's messy. And we're just getting started. The mess continues. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, let me just say how much I find myself admiring Joseph. Because here's this man who is 
in a mess. And yet, when there's a mess, Joseph chooses to do the right thing. Even in the midst of the mess, Joseph chooses to do the right thing. Like, I, I won't speak for you, for me. When life is easy, when things are nice, neat, and clean, and going smoothly, I find it easier to choose to do the right thing. It's not easy, but it's easier. But when life is messy, and things are difficult, and everything's going haywire, I find it to be much more difficult to choose to do the right thing. In fact, when life is messy, it's almost like the mess is providing me with excuses for why I couldn't or shouldn't or didn't do the right thing. But in the midst of the mess, Joseph chooses to do the right thing. For example, Joseph believes he's been the victim of infidelity. Now, I don't know how much infidelity you've witnessed, but as a pastor, I have witnessed way more infidelity than I ever thought I would and than I ever wanted to. And I can tell you right now, when, when someone is the victim of infidelity, there is a sense of pain and shame and a feeling of betrayal that rivals any wrong that one person can commit against another. And when a person has found themselves the victim of infidelity, they're left to decide, how am I going to navigate these incredibly messy emotions and circumstances that I am now facing? Now, if we're honest, for a lot of us, the temptation is to hurt that person back. In fact, the greater the hurt done to us, the greater the temptation is to hurt that person back. For example... How's that old Carrie Underwood song go? Right? I dug my keys and two to side, his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Yes. Yes. Doesn't that sound like the kind of girl you want to date? <laughs> See, when somebody hurts us, the temptation is to hurt them back. And the more they've hurt us, the greater that temptation is. And if they've really wounded us deeply, we're going like, to dial it up a notch or two when we wound them back so they know we're nobody to be trifled with. Joseph, according to the Mosaic Code, could have had Mary tried for adultery. If found guilty, she gets a death sentence could have very publicly divorced her. Hey, I'm through with Mary, and it's her, not me. Let me tell you why I'm kicking her to the curb. Joseph, in either one of those options, he could have fed the monster inside of him that's hungry for retribution, that's thirsty for revenge, that longs to hurt the way he had been hurt himself. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's faithful to the law. He's not going to just turn a blind eye to what is a perceived gross wrong that has been done in the relationship. But Joseph 
isn't going to give in to bitterness and resentment and malice. And we're not told exactly why Joseph is going to choose to do the right thing. But I suspect maybe it's because Joseph understood that, like, revenge never changed anything that was done to us and it never made anything better going forward. And I suspect Joseph understood that when we're bitter and resentful towards another person, oftentimes they don't know, they don't care, rarely are they losing sleep over it. In fact, bitterness and resentment are a poison we take in an effort to kill somebody else. And, and Joseph, it's very much implied in the text, Joseph was a man who knew his Bible. And his Old Testament, his only testament at the time, regularly told him, when it comes to your enemies, you're to love them, not hate them. He knows what the right thing to do is. And so rather than give in to bitterness and resentment and revenge, rather than let that sense of pain and shame and betrayal drive his behavior, Joseph chooses to navigate very tricky emotions and circumstances differently. He's going to divorce her quietly. Even in his response to perceived injustice, he's trying to protect her. In the midst of the mess, he's going to do the right thing. Now, life can be fun. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But sometimes you find yourself in a mess and you choose to do the right thing and life just gets messier. That's, that's what Joseph's going to deal with here. He's, a, he's in a mess. He chooses to do the right thing and life just gets messier. Here, here's what we read next. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, you want to talk messy? This is going to make Joseph's life messy on a whole nother level. Yeah, God's telling him to marry Mary, so it's the right thing. But if Joseph marries Mary, people are going to assume one of two things about Joseph. Either they'll assume it's not his kid, but he's marrying her anyway because he's probably too desperate. He thinks he's never going to get anybody else to say yes, so he'll marry a known cheat. Or he, he lacks enough spine to send her packing like any self-respecting individual would. Or they'll assume it is his kid. Joseph violated all the promises he made during the pledge. Joseph clearly cannot control himself. Joseph got caught with his hands in the cookie jar in the ultimate way. And as a man who lives in a shame and honor-based culture, either way, Joseph loses. And what is he going to tell people? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's called immaculate conception. <laughs> like, people have wrestled with the virgin birth for better than 2,000 years. This is like the first time the concepts come onto the scene. People are going to be like, Joseph, you are the most gullible person in the world to believe that story from Mary or Joseph. Like, that's the best lie you could come up with, man, you know? Or, or worse, they're going to be like, that's blasphemy. We're going to make a pile of rocks out of you. There's nothing he can say. If Joseph marries Mary, he's going to face shame 
and social exclusion and religious rejection for the rest of his life. That's messy. And that's the Christmas story. So what's Joseph do? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Rather than run away from the mess, Joseph stepped towards it. And again, I find myself respecting him so much for how he does this. Joseph doesn't wake up and and like him and haw and drag his feet and try and debate with God and try and find a loophole to what he's being asked to do. Joseph gets up and right away he goes and does the right thing. And for that, Joseph's life just keeps getting messier. Like think about what you know of the Christmas story from here. Like Joseph marries Mary. And next thing he knows, he's dragging a third trimester pregnant woman across the country. They show up in Bethlehem. They have all kinds of housing issues. He, you know, the best place they can find is a barn. He has no midwifery treatment, you know, training. He's delivering a baby with his you know, newborn bride, you know, new bride here. Weirdos show up right, left, and center to gawk at him and the wife and the kids, right? Next thing he knows, the king is trying to murder the child. He has to flee and live as a refugee in another country. When he can finally come back to Israel, he has to live in hiding for years. And we're just getting started. And yet, throughout it all, Joseph chooses to do the right thing. All of which begs a question. See, for many, if not most, if not all of us, there's an understanding that we live with in the back of our minds. That understanding is, if I choose to do the right thing, life should get cleaner, not messier. In fact, it's like, okay, God, listen, you asked me to do this right thing. I did the right thing in the midst of the mess. Now you need to do your job and make things smoother from here. But Joseph's life doesn't bear that out. And let's be honest, neither do ours. Which then begs the question for us and for Joseph. Why do the right thing? Why do the right thing in the midst of the mess if it's not going to make life cleaner? If, if, why do the right thing in the midst of the mess if it's just going to make life messier? And again, the text doesn't tell us exactly why Joseph chose to do the right thing. But I have some reasons that I suspect Joseph had. Like I suspect Joseph chose to do the right thing because who he was becoming internally was more important to him than what was happening externally. Joseph understood the value of who he was on the inside as opposed to how his circumstances were unfolding. Joseph understood every time he chose to do the right thing simply because it was the right thing. Regardless of the outcome, it formed in him godly character. Joseph Joseph understood every time he chose to do the right thing regardless of what was going to take place afterwards. On the inside, he became a little bit more like the man God meant him to be. And Joseph understood that character was more valuable than comfort or convenience. And I think Joseph understood that comfort and convenience, they have a short shelf life. See, I can can make decisions in the midst of the mess 
We can make decisions that will maintain our comfort, that will keep life more convenient. But comfort and convenience that comes at the cost of character, it never lasts. But character that is developed even at the cost of comfort and convenience, that sticks with us. There are few things we are going to take with us from this life into the next. Our character is one of them. And I suspect that it's that eternal kind of perspective that, that, that helped Joseph realize someday he was going to stand before his God. He was going to give an account for how he spent the one and only life he had been entrusted with. And on that day, Joseph knew his God was going to reward him. And the rewards that he received from his God on that day made everything that comfort and convenience in this life had to offer pale by comparison. And so Joseph, knowing he is someday going to stand before the king of heaven while he was here on earth, he lived for an audience of one. So, as we finish this up, let me ask you, where is life messy for you? Is it messy at home? Is it messy at work? Is it messy at school? Is it messy right here at church? Is there a relationship that's messy? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it some way that you're living that you know you got to get figured out? Like, I know there are messes here because I, I read your posts, I read your prayer requests, I listen when you talk. So where is life messy? And more importantly, what would it look like for you to respond to the mess in a way that reflects how Joseph responded to the mess? What would it look like for us to choose the right thing even in the midst of the mess. Because in my experience and in my observation, figuring out what the right thing is, more often than not, really isn't that difficult. We usually know. It's choosing it in the midst of the mess. That's the challenge. What would it look like for us to choose the right thing regardless of the outcome? To choose character over comfort and convenience? to live our lives performing for an audience of one. See, it's our hope and it's our prayer this Christmas season as we look at the mess of that first Christmas story that we will see examples that inspire us to be the kind of people that we're reading about. Let's pray together. Father, thank you just for Joseph, for his life. For a mess better than 2,000 years ago that while different than ours, just shows us that these stories are our stories and they're relevant to our lives today. Father, help us just to be honest with ourselves and with you about the mess that we face. God, help us to see clearly 
what it would look like to choose the right thing. And Father, we just pray for grace, for courage, for strength, for wisdom to choose to do the right thing. It's in Jesus' name we pray.